Welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing two episodes of Star Trek, the original series, The Cage, which was the original pilot episode, and Season 1, Episode 18, Arena. And before we get into it, let's do a little bit of announcements. We've added a schedule sidebar widget to our website, acommandofherown.com, so that we can hopefully help keep track of what episodes we're going to be recording while we're on hiatus, give you an idea of what's coming up. And I will try and keep it up to date. This is news to me. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay, yeah, there That's, it is. That, yeah, there it is. And, um... Kate, do you want to let people know how Emerald City Comic Con was? It was really good. I missed all the Star Trek stuff. Ooh. But you did catch some podcasting stuff? I did, yeah. Um, I went to, like, oh shoot, what was the panel called? Podcasting 101 it- or something like that. It was run by Trin from Friendshipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of her, her friends who also do podcasts. Mm-hmm. And... It was sort of aimed at like brand new people, so mm-hmm. a lot of it I did already know. But there was a it was a good panel to go to and just talk to people about the different ways that they do their podcasts and uh, and that sort of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Cool. There was somebody did well. Ah, we can talk about this later. It, it was a really interesting panel, and mm-hmm. yeah, I spent too much money, as cons go, or like that's normal for a con. It is a normal hazard, yep. Yeah. Artist Alley was very good. The what? Sorry? The Artist Alley was very good. Okay. Much art. Oh, okay. Good art. Artists Alley. I kept running that together and hearing something Sally. Oh. <laughs> thinking, wait, what? No. It's okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time. Me too. Do we have any other announcements? Next week, we are going to be recording a podcast about galaxy quest so send us your questions and comments and kate has never seen it Mm -hmm. but i have so i'll be very interested to see how you enjoy it i'm sure i'll enjoy it more than this week's stuff what a good segue (laughs) i did not see you live tweet anything this week um i very specifically didn't live tweet because my main reaction was well now I feel zero guilt about whatever I make Jen watch in the future. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's I'm glad I've. So I was watching I'm them glad last to have night. That barrier. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. I was watching them last night. Uh, I <laughs> I watched the cage. It was very boring. Um, and then. I was watching Arena, and I got about halfway through, and I was literally falling asleep on my computer, so I went to bed and finished it this morning. That's very fair. The pacing of the 60s Star Trek episodes is very different from modern television. So if I had tried to watch them at night, I I probably would have had similar struggles. And I can remember when we originally got all of the original series on DVD, we went through and watched them all. Mm-hmm. And I can remember similar problems happening. I mean, like, put on an episode at night, <laughs> and I'd be like, wait, what happened? Because I fell asleep during it. So, yeah. yeah. 
uh, it's 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 a hazard. That's true. Okay, so and I was actually really glad to rewatch these because it's giving me a good frame of reference to look back on Discovery. Just because so, it's so much better. Well, a few things. Like yes, um, like one of my first thoughts when I was watching the cage was like, look at how far we've come. Because Pike even has that line about getting used to women on the bridge. And um, there's this obvious thing where, like, he doesn't, he's not comfortable with his woman human that's on there. And his first officer is a woman, and she even, like, has a line. And he's like, oh, well, not you. And it's just so incredibly sexist. Mm-hmm. And everybody was white. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm- I guess it's nice that they eventually changed that. Yeah, so this was like the concept pilot that they shot. Mm-hmm. And then they did go back and make changes to it. Because obviously, you know, the first officer wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But they added in like Uhura and uh, Sulu and got some more diversity in the cast. Mm-hmm. And they I, gave the... I was just going to say, sorry, that that first officer was the only character I kind of liked. So, hilarious that she didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, Did you notice Spock laughing? No. Okay. That did not register for me. Yeah. Um, They made some... It looks like they refined Spock's character. Because when he beams down to the planet and, like, interacts with the strange music flower things... Oh, yeah. He does sort of smile and have a... Yeah, okay. Yeah. And they made him much more stoic. Um, a lot like the uh, number one officer was. Mm-hmm. So. Did she so, yeah. have a name or was she just number one? Yeah. Man. I can't think of it. I'm having to look it up. Okay. Because they did give her a name. So, IMDB is saying it's Lee... Hudek? Hudek? I don't know how to say it. Okay. And did you recognize who it was played by? No. Majel Barrett. That means nothing to me. Oh, okay. Uh, so Majel Barrett goes on to... She she does come up in Star Trek, the original series again, mm-hmm. as a nurse. And she and Gene Roddenberry eventually got married. Oh, okay. And she is the computer voice for Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager and Deep Space Nine for the Federation computers. And she also plays Loxana Troy on The Next Generation. I enjoy from those credits that you thought just her name would mean something to me. (laughs) (laughs) Any Star Trek fan... Who hears the name Majel Barrett would be like would know exactly who that is. <laughs> We've established our dynamic previously. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Okay. But yeah, so she does get a name. They do mostly just call her number one. It's incredibly, incredibly sexist, the whole storyline. Cause and even the reference to the Orions, um, they've set it up right away that like um you know, the Orion women are scantily clad and sexy dancing, and uh, 
it's totally okay, apparently, for the Federation officers to go to an Orion place and, you know, indulge in having sex with alien women. Totally fine. And even the story plot with Vina, the whole thing where she decides to stay there because she feels so ashamed about her appearance Mm -hmm. is just complete garbage. Also, I don't see that she would feel any shame. Because she would never have seen a human before either. Um, no, I think she's, like, you're thinking that she's, like, 18 and was, like, born there. Mm-hmm. But no, no, that was one of the um, stories they told. So she was, from my understanding, a crew member or, you know, a person on the ship who was so badly injured. So she would have been an adult at that time. But it's also bullshit they couldn't actually reconstruct her body because I'm like, you can read her freaking mind enough to know what things are to make psychic projections and you couldn't use that as a frame of reference when you were doing the medical stuff on her. So then so then how old was she? Because because it was like eighteen years ago, right? Yeah, but like if she had been like a new recruit, she could have only been like 18 or 19 years old when the ship crashed. So she'd be like 36. All right. Anyways, yes, it was bullshit because, like you said, A, the psychic thing. I'm sure they could have pulled that. And B, oh, guess what? Humans and whatever species these people were look exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just very ableist in general to have this idea that, you know, when somebody goes through a physical trauma like that, they their old life isn't worth living. Like, you can't go and face people because of it. And it's like, that's a very, very ableist attitude. Mm-hmm. It's very disempowering to people who go through ki- all kinds of trauma and end up having to change their lives around for it. Yeah. And, you know, some people do feel like it, it's life-changing, but, but it's not life ending. That's right. That's right. There is life after that. People can have joy after that. They can go back to living like full and healthy, complete lives. And Star Trek, the original series in particular, is very, very ableist in its attitudes. Um, the cage was actually, um, the footage from the cage was never aired originally. Mm hmm. But then as season one wore on, they were going through their budget so quickly and they didn't want to waste all the footage that they had shot. So they ended up cutting it into another episode as flashbacks. Okay. And um, again, just as like another sort of thing where they talk about ableism and, and how, oh, somebody's life is now over because they've become disabled. So, yeah. So that was The Cage. Do you have anything else to say about that one? Uh, no. Well, no. I all the women were in love with Pike. Literally. Yes. Like, at the end, like, oh, God. It was, I, like, they couldn't resist getting one last dig in there at the end with it, too. When the Yemen was like, who would you have chosen? Like, fuck off. Oh. I know. I know. I was like, major eye roll moment. Like, oh, just, yeah. Uh, Okay, so then the arena. 
which you watched in two parts. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, my God. It was so slow. Oh, my God. It was so <laughs> slow. And it was so bad. And it was bad. And it was slow, Jen. It was so slow. Yes. Yes, it was. It was very slow. At one slow. point, he pushes on the Gorn's head. And that, like, mm-hmm. confuses the Gorn enough for Kirk to run away. And then he throws a rock at him. And that does nothing. He pushed yes. on his head, Jen. <laughs> I know. It's, we've come a long way in our creature effects. <laughs> and they they even made it, like, they talked about it. They were like, the Gorn has, like, superhuman strength, but he doesn't have any agility or speed. And so he was just, like, slowly he lumbering w- He was across. like a, a walker, like a zombie. Like, he could just... Yeah. Burr, burr, burr. When he talked at the end, I was surprised he had any sort of intelligence. Yes, yes. That's a good point. He doesn't say anything until the very end. Why didn't they just talk to each other when they were face-to-face? Well, I think that is part of the lesson that this episode was trying to teach. I I didn't feel taught to. I felt bored. (laughs) Yes. Um, How did you like those effects on the planet when they first get there and they're under bombardment and they're, like, showing the blasts and the and dodging them and things like that. I mean, at least that was a little bit more exciting than the Gorn fight. You know, one of the things I thought was amazing, Kurt, Kate. Mm-hmm. Did you just call me Kirk? <laughs> <laughs> it was when Kirk was on the planet, and Kirk and Spock managed just to correct brush me. that under the rug. All right, We're carry just on. I'm walking on by. Um, but, like, how Spock and Kirk could, like, identify the minerals. Like, Spock could do it from just a visual alone. Mm-hmm. Like, here's yellow powder. He's sure that that is sulfur. I mean, to be fair, like, I see we have a lot of sulfur, like, stuff around here. So if I saw yellow powder somewhere, I'd be like, oh, is that sulfur? <laughs> Okay. Because it's the only yellow powder I see on a regular basis. All right. I mean, we see it differently, but, you know. Yeah. My favorite effect was definitely when they put some tinfoil on the rocks. <laughs> I noticed that, too. Yeah, that <laughs> was, was the like, best. I was like, wow, is that tinfoil? And for no, for no reason. Like, it's never... <laughs> he never goes over there. It's never addressed. Just in the background, there's some tinfoil. I was actually legitimately wondering if that was, like, something that they had set up for lighting a scene and forgotten to clean up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, they filmed a spot with Kirk up there and they needed the light reflecting off. So they set that up. And then when they moved the shot down over there, they just had forgotten to take it off the rocks. (laughs) Now that I I think on it, actually, it probably didn't look like tinfoil on whatever TV people were watching on in the 60s. Oh, that's fair, too. Yeah. You probably just looked like some shiny rock. Yeah, that's fair. High def has not been has not been kind to Star Trek. <laughs> no, I haven't seen any of the ones re-released in high def yet. Yeah. Because I know that they've done um, Next Generation. And they actually went back and, like, redid some of the effects because oh. they knew it wouldn't upscale. Right. Interesting. But, yeah. 
there was even some screenings in movie theaters and such. So, um, the one thing, like, looking at the both of these episodes, it was like, well, at least we've gotten, like, way more progressive in terms of, like, the crew complement and diversity and things like that. Yeah. And when I was watching Arena... I was like, okay, well, maybe this does jive with the fact that Starfleet has been completely gutted because they don't seem to have any protocol. Like, right. Kirk Kirk beams down to the planet, and he, he apparently hasn't left anyone in charge because now he has to, like, quarterback the space battle with his communicator from the planet while he's under bombardment. And I was like, what? And this jives with Kirk being, you know, like too rapidly promoted to captain as well. If we're going to bring some of the Kelvin timeline into canon, you know, it just displays his inexperience. And then in both cases, they go back to the ship and they're just like, we don't need to talk about the details. Logs? Reports? No. Did, I don't remember, did the Metrons talk to Kirk about what that, thing that they gave him was the thing that he ends up talking into i thought that they oh i I don't remember i remember them talking about it but now i can't remember if they were telling that to the enterprise crew yeah or if they told that to kirk because i didn't catch that at all while watching and then he just sort of starts talking into it and of course it's relaying it to the gordon i'm like kirk you don't I don't know what this is. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, and yeah, he clearly didn't really have a grasp on the fact that the Gordon would hear all of his plans. Mm-hmm. So. And speaks his language? Well, mm-hmm. it was a translator as well. They did mention that. Sure, sure. Anyways, it was. It, I just thought of some really mean things to say, but it was an experience. <laughs> it it also laid out, like, the red shirt phenomenon. Yeah. Because that, I mean, when you see the memes about it, you think that it's somewhat exaggerated. But sometimes in episodes, that's exactly how it went, went down. It was literally unnamed crewmen. <laughs> they just call by a rank. And gets killed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so did demonstrate that and it did tend to demonstrate that heavy-handed morality lesson that star trek the original series and sometimes next generation was all about but like just tacked right on there at the end no build-up no nothing and then they had to talk and talk and talk and there was no tension that's true. And I didn't really feel like Kirk learned the lesson effectively. Like, they played it that way, and they acted it that way. But I also, it's like, to teach you out of your warmongering ways, we're going to set up a battle to the death. And then, have you learned why that's so wrong? Like, yep. This is why they could have talked, him and the Gorn. That yeah. would have helped. Yeah, and and and, not, and less of Kirk looking at the dirt and talking about the dirt <laughs> and the yes. rocks. 
Yes. In the dirt. The treatment of the aliens in both of these reminded me of an old article I read mm-hmm. that was actually talking more about vampires and things. And I tried to see if I could find it on the internet, but I was unable to. And aliens in Star Trek are basically the monsters. Mm-hmm. They're space monsters. And the article I had read had talked about how when we explore monsters through media, it goes through certain phases of evolution. And at the beginning, part of the reason why the monsters are so scary is because we don't know anything about them. But when you keep seeing monsters in a media setting, repeatedly not knowing about them isn't satisfying. So inevitably you get stories that start giving you more about the monsters and you find out more about them and you have to flesh them out to make a good story. And eventually they have to get like fully fleshed out so they could be their own protagonist. And then when you start to get to that point, there's a shift in how the audience starts perceiving them, that they're less monstrous. You can empathize with them. And that basically leads to how you get sexy vampires. And I was reflecting on this and how Star Trek totally models this as you go through the evolution of the Star Trek series. Because like in the original series, like the Gorn, the Telosians, Mm -hmm. they're totally monsters. Like they are mostly just one-sided space creatures. We never really empathize with them. The crew never empathizes with them. Doesn't even occur to Kirk to talk to the Gorn at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with Pike and the Telosians. Oh, hey, you guys are stuck on this planet. You can't do, like, you know, you've evolved to this thing where there's a problem. The Federation's not going to actually try and help you. Like, it's just like, no, we're just going to leave you alone. You'll eventually die here. Or something, right? But when you go through the next generation, and you go through Deep Space Nine, and you go through Voyager, all the aliens start to get more humanized until you get to the point where, well, people fall in love with other alien species. Mm -hmm. And you get the whole dramatic tension of uh, Burnham and Vockler and all of that playing out. So I thought it was very interesting that it reminded me of that. I'd be interested to read that article if you can find it again, just because I actually disagree with it in regards to vampires. They were always sexy, in media at least. The original Nosferatu? Right, so the original Dracula mm-hmm. in movies, uh, and sorry, in books, mm-hmm. that was always sexy. That was mm-hmm. a sexy literature, and that predates Nosferatu. Hmm, interesting. I could I could debate you on this, but we'll keep our debates to Great. space monsters. The original Nosferatu was terrifying and is one of the, like, that haunts my nightmares. I'm not going to lie. Ugh. <laughs> Although that's more to do with an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. I, I did try to really hard to find it. And even people sent me articles <laughs> when I mentioned it. But they were um, not quite talking about that. Mm. Uh, the same thing. So thank you to everyone who sent me articles. I did appreciate and read them. <laughs> they just weren't the right one. They just weren't the ones that I had read at some point in my past <laughs> that I can't really even narrow down. When did I read that? It just, <laughs> I knew it was on the internet. That was it. So I don't even remember the publication it was in either. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't really giving you much to work with to narrow it down. I mean, so yeah, vampires were always the metaphor for sex. We can carry on. It's fine. <laughs> But one could argue that vampire stories orally in the oral tradition predate the you said in written media. tradition. 
I did say in media because I, from my recollection, that's what the article talked about. That's why I'm so. ignoring the oral tradition. Okay. <laughs> Even though this article is coming to you in the oral tradition. <laughs> Since you haven't read it, you just heard my description of it. So yeah, those are my main talking points. And I don't think that you have many more on this one. No, please don't make me watch original series again for a very, very, very long time. Please. <laughs> okay. I I will say that I think these episodes, like, I think it's important that you see some original Star Trek right before watching Galaxy Quest, because I think it will put you in, like, a good, give you good context for it. All right. So, I will say that. Galaxy Quest is much, much better. I've heard. Everybody that I've talked to likes Galaxy Quest, so mm -hmm. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Good. And, hmm. yeah, geez, I thought I had a lot to say, but we're recording on this. It's gone really quickly. To be fair, I didn't really have much to add other than please don't make me do this again. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And, and this is pretty um, typical of a Star Trek episode, like the original series. Like, the pacing does tend to be slower, partly because this was the pacing of 1960s television. And uh, the special effects, this is about as good as it gets. Oh, which were groundbreaking for the time. You know, I will say, the effects of the outside of the ship, I thought, were very good for, for the time. Like, I, mm -hmm. I was impressed with that. Mm -hmm. There was one bit, I think it was in the arena. No, the cage. Mm -hmm. uh, where... Like, the, the aliens were spying on Pike, mm -hmm. and they had it like a little screen, and just the way that they did it, it looked like an after-school special, you know, like, <laughs> like, I remember it happened, and I was like, whoa, did something just go wrong with my computer? Like, it was so different and so jarring. But again, it might might have looked better on a, on a 1960s TV. True. I have absolutely yeah. no idea. Would these have aired originally in color? Um, I have no idea when well, color television happened. It was it was filmed in color. Yeah, so it must have been, right? Yeah, but I think some people may have still had black and white televisions. And, like, I know one of the issues... Um, so, years ago, I made an original series scant, like the little dress. And then I made a season two and three Kirk wrap top because he gets this different top that is slightly styled differently mm -hmm. and um in researching making original series star trek stuff one of the huge dilemmas is that the actual fabric they used for the yellow um uniforms mm -hmm. was more green like there's a color mismatch for how it was in real life versus how it appears in film. And so people have like great big debates and arguments over what should you do? Should you make it more like the actual fabric was, or should you make it like the fabric appeared on television? And yeah, there's huge online debates. You can go and look up and see about the authenticity of costumes that you're making. And um, one of the other things that brought up was that original um, props and stuff. Mm-hmm don't look as good as replica stuff does because when they were making it for on screen, they know how much detail it picks up and stuff like that. Yeah. So they knew that they could make it, you know, and they had to make it quickly and on a budget. Right. So they'd only make it look as good as they had to make it look. 
But then people make replicas. They want it to look good, like, in real life to the naked eye. So, it, and now with modern television and stuff like that, apparently the props, the prop quality and all the stagecraft quality has to be quite a lot higher. Oh, because yeah. everything's in high def, so people can see how good it looks, right? Yeah, movies are the worst, because then they're projected on a screen that's, you know, five oh, stories yeah. tall or whatever, and zoomed in or whatever. That's right. So, yeah, there's our little divergence about special effects and props. And Doing a very quick glance over on Wikipedia here, it looks like color TV became common, like, in every household in the late 60s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. Right. So. so some people may have been watching this in black and white, in which case a lot of our, like, like, yeah, like we said, the tinfoil rock probably would have looked fine. Yeah. Yeah. And even that uh, location for, well, you probably noticed it in both the cage and arena. Because um, that's just like the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. And that shows up a lot in the original series, Star Trek, which mm-hmm. is why it was then a big deal that they filmed at an international location for the Discovery pilot. Gotcha. I I get that they're kind of interesting-looking rocks, but did they not understand that they look exactly the same and not like different worlds? Well, like we said, you know, you're watching on a black-and-white television. It just had to look like it was outside. I guess. Some of their inside-for-outside sets were not very well done. (laughs) Yes. Although, to be fair, I don't think those are particularly well done even now. Like, you can always tell that it's indoors. Yes. Yeah. Well, and now I almost look, like, especially when they're trying to, like, blend it with a green screen or, like, Mm -hmm. things like that. I always try and look and see if my eye can catch that transition point. You know, like, scanning the background in a shot and being like, okay, where is it? Where's the real stuff? And where's it? all the effects where's that switch over interesting that is not something i would ever do to myself okay <laughs> I'm, I'm weird that way well i no, i'm sure other people do it too i just or if i am doing something like that that to me says well this is not good <laughs> yeah. i'm paying attention to where the green screen line is it, i do catch myself doing it more on things that i've seen before mm-hmm. like on a rewatch i'm more likely to do that than on an original. That's fair, though. Although I was doing it in The Hobbit, so... Oh, yeah. It tells you how well I liked starting to watch that, which I haven't finished yet. Yeah, no, those aren't good. <laughs> I will finish them eventually. You don't have to. Though I will probably watch... I would wager that I will watch Wonder Woman finished before I will watch The Hobbit finished. That's a much better choice. <laughs> okay. Do you have any recommendations this week? Yes. Okay. I, I will recommend, then... Um... Uh, so I started a new podcast this past week that I've been meaning to start for a while. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. It's just a watch-along with yep. Buffy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really, really, really fabulous. I'm still in season one. I'm not watching Buffy along because I've seen Buffy beginning to end so many times that I just don't need to. And it's so good. They write a song every episode about the episode that they watched they uh, mention a like the um the best sexual tension moment of the episode mm-hmm. and it's usually like cordelia and buffy okay it's it's just really good it's really funny and smart and obviously loves the show but is still you know critical 
of its crap parts. Right. I have heard many, many good things about buffering. Yeah. Actually. I wasn't letting myself start it until I finished one of my other podcasts that I was listening to. So now mm-hmm. I'm really excited to power through and get caught up. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of good things about buffering and I, I have a really time hard, I have a really hard time listening to watch along podcasts without Ironic. watching along. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was gonna, I thought you were just going to say watch along podcasts. I'm like, um, hate to tell no, you no. this. <laughs> Um, like I, um, blah, blah, blah. I'm paused on Outlander. Like I don't have time to catch up with season two. Mm-hmm. And there's a really good Outlander podcast called Sex and Whiskey, which I'm also therefore not listening to right now. And I've done a Deep Space Nine one, and I would love to go back and do the Buffering one, or um, Still Pretty. Mm-hmm. Is another watch along one that kind of starts off in a weird place, but eventually yeah, we'll they, get caught up. Still pretty doesn't seem to be going in any sort of order. They're just sort of doing the episodes they want to do. From what I can no, tell. No, no. No, still pretty starts it it just starts up like with the last couple of seasons of Buffy. Oh. And is going forward from there because reasons. Anyways, we don't need to get into that. Um I'm pretty sure that the intention is eventually to go back. Loop around again and go back and do the gotcha. first seasons. Um but I, and I've only watched Buffy once, and I would love to go back and watch it again. You've it's only just... watched Buffy once. Yes, I watched Buffy once, and it was the part of it was the awkward timing because it was when I was on maternity leave with my firstborn that I binge watched it. But then by the time I was like ready to watch it again, I had like a toddler, mm. and so I couldn't watch that <laughs> with a toddler around. And that is still my dilemma: is that. <laughs> Small children and sexy vampire stories do not mix well. Yeah. So, Kate's like, whatever. It won't scar them much. Okay. Um, what are you recommending this week? Uh, uh, I hate making recommendations. You know this. It's not like you haven't had two weeks to think about. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay, well, I will make my late-to-the-party recommendation. Mm-hmm. Of uh, the first Hunger Games movie, because that's something I recently watched, finally. And you liked it? Yes, yes. Um, I haven't read the books too recently, uh, but I thought they did a fabulous adaptation. I thought it had the potential to have some moments that really lagged if they were going to try and stay too faithful to the books. Mm -hmm. But they really effectively used... um, the visual movie elements to fill in the audience on what they needed to know. And it may have been because I'd already read the books. It's hard for me to tell, but Oh my God, there was tension that whole way through. And I just thought it was incredibly well done. I remember really liking it and thinking it was very faithful to the books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, it didn't deviate from the books. It's just, there was all sorts of parts. Like at the beginning, she's like, you know, going off through the woods and doing things and um they didn't like follow her walking through the woods kind of thing Mm -hmm. they just like got her to the important scene that she needed to be at and then yeah and there wasn't a lot of like belabored dialogue explaining the world to us it was just show it Mm -hmm. and can i mention something i'm very excited about that i hope will be good yes 
they're doing a mini-series of The Golden Compass. I knew this, yes. Yes, I knew you knew this, and I am very excited about it, because I was very disappointed by the first movie adaptation. And the first movie adaptation was bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. All right. Um, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at own at gmail.com or at own on Twitter. And we're on Instagram, where it's instagram.com slash own. And now we say bye. You usually say I've been Jen. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. I've been Jen. And I've been Caitlin. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. her freaking mind enough to know what things are to make psychic projections and you couldn't use it as a frame of reference when you were doing the medical stuff on her I'm very pointedly not responding right now (laughs) we're just going to give that a minute I have two. I don't know which one I want to do. Well, tell me both, and I'll do the second one. (laughs) Well, (laughs) do you want to recommend a podcast you haven't listened to or a video game you haven't played? (laughs) Okay, I guess I can't (laughs) take those over.